today we're doing part two of the language of the Spirit. Uh, last uh, Sunday, and I hope if you miss that, you've listened to it on the podcast or will. Uh, we're, we're talking about the language of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bible, very familiar passage of Scripture, verse 1. Uh, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. I mean, can say that that means they went to church. They were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. I think we heard that rushing wind phrase this morning. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled. How many were filled? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. The word tongues there in Greek is glossia, where we get glossary, our word glossary from. And as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then down in verse 8, it says that uh, how is it that we hear each one in our own language? Now, the word they translated here into English language is a Greek word, uh, dialectos, where we get our word dialect from. Not only were they hearing them speak in their language, but, you know, you can have several, you can have different uh, people speaking uh, Spanish and not understand each other because of the dialect difference. But here, the Bible actually says that they heard each one speak in their own dialect in which they were born. And uh, just an amazing thing happened. And it says, how is it, again, we hear them in our own language? So we're talking about the language of the Spirit, and that's what we want to to, to uh, finish up today. Father, we do love you. Thank you for this Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that you have given to us when we are born again. We give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen. amen. Shake somebody's hand, smile, say welcome to Grace Point. Glad you're here. All right, let's see if we can get this done. Here, I don't do a lot of points. Here goes three of them. Number one, it is a language. And the Bible says so. Brother Dale doesn't say so. It is a language. Acts 2 and 6 again. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together, and it says they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So, so since I've written a book about myths in the church, I'm the myth guy, okay? So I want to give you three subpoints or three myths about uh, the language. It is, number one, a language, but with any language, the myth is that you start speaking it fluently the first day. And some people say, well, they spoke it fluently the first day in Acts 2. It doesn't say that. It said they heard. They heard them fluently. It didn't say they spoke fluently. Uh, my little granddaughter, Addie, is uh, two and a half, and she speaks in tongues. Often she spoke in tongues yesterday, and I have to have her brother, Aiden, who is six, to interpret for me. <laughs> uh, and that's the truth. I mean, so there's just a gifting there. That's his little sister. And there's so many times that she'll say stuff, and she's just, blah, 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 you know, whatever. I have no clue what she's talking about. And I'll say, Aiden, what, what is she wanting? And he'll say she's asking for something, or she wants this. or that. And he, he gets it, but I, I, I don't get it. Uh, I, I remember when our kids, uh, her mom, my daughter, uh, Kristen, uh, I actually, they, they recommended us put her in speech therapy. And uh, I really hated to do that because she's had so many cute ways she said certain words that I loved it. So her word for girls, uh, she never could do her R's. So girls were gulls, like seagulls, but it was gulls. And uh, I hated when they finally, you know, taught that out of her 
because I loved it. I want to say something to you. Your Heavenly Father loves it when you use the grace of tongues that he's given to every believer. Now, I've already covered this in, in, in past weeks, but when you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes in you. You didn't get 10% of the Holy Spirit. You didn't get a deposit of the Holy Spirit. You didn't get a, a kid Holy Spirit, an adult Holy Spirit. You got the Holy Spirit, which is the fullness of God. The Holy Spirit, and Jesus said it this way, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're none of His. You're not even saved. But if you're saved, you've received the gift. It's not something you prayed for, you earned, or anything like that. You receive the Holy Spirit. What we do is we learn to release what God has given us. The Bible says you are complete in Christ. If you're complete, how can you seek something else? The Bible says that you've received the fullness of Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says he's blessed us with every, have in the past, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So what are you seeking for? So just relax. No matter what you've been told, God has gifted you with the Holy Spirit when you were born again. And you don't have to worry about speaking this language fluently. You just, you move in faith like you do everything else. The second myth is that you just can't control it. You don't have to fear that one day you're going to be standing in line at Publix at the checkout counter, and all of a sudden you're going to go into a trance, and you're going to grab the, the little mic that the, you know, at the cash register and start speaking in tongues over the, the mic. And, you know, you're not going to do that because the Bible says that the spirit of the prophets is subject unto the prophets. In other words, it's a, it's a myth that you can't control it. Let me ask you this. Can you control the gift of teaching? Sure you can. You control the gift of teaching. You decide if you, I decide that I'm teaching right now. So I can stop it and walk off the stage and go start eating on my cake. It's a choice, right? It's a choice. So there's nothing just going to take you over and, and, and make you do what you don't want to do. And the third myth is, well, if God wants me to have it, it'll just happen. It'll just come out of me. You know, if the Lord sees fit to give me the gift, you received the gift of the Holy Spirit when you got born again. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in that particular chapter, the Bible talks about nine gifts of the Holy Spirit and one of those gifts is the gift of diverse tongues, different tongues. Now, that is a gift of the Holy Spirit there. And that gift is meant to be given publicly. And that gift is meant to be interpreted so that we can all be edified. But that's different than the, what I'm talking about today primarily is, we'll just call it this, helps people understanding, uh, is the grace of tongues. Okay, and you, you'll see that in a second. But you don't, don't just say, well, if God wants me to have it, it'll just happen. That's like saying, well... Uh, you know, the gift of giving, if the gift of giving, if God wants me to have it, when I walk by the back back there at the offering box, all of a sudden a $100 bill will just fly out of my wallet and into the box. And I'll go, look, honey, I have the gift of giving. God gave it to me. There went our $100 bill into the, that's not how it happens, is it? A check don't just automatically write itself and go into the box. You know, you, you do that by faith. And so that's the way it is with this. The second point is not only, number one, it is a language. The Bible says it's language. It's not gibberish. It's not gibberish. You may not understand it, and you probably won't, but it is a language. Number two, it is a language of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 and 2. Now this, I'm going to give you three verses out of 1 Corinthians 14. They're so important, and it'll solve a lot of confusion if you'll just memorize these three verses about the Holy Spirit in tongues. Verse 2, and I didn't write the Bible. This is not the Grace Point's version of the Bible. This is the Bible. Are you Okay. For he, Paul writing, he who speaks in a what? Tongues. So we're talking about speaking in tongues. Does not speak to men, but, he's, but to God. 
So when you talk to God, we call that what? Prayer. So this is praying in tongues to God. So for no one understands him, however, in the spirit, everybody say in the spirit. This has been the whole series, the whole title. In the spirit, he speaks mysteries. In other words, it's mysterious to us, to our mind, because we don't understand it. Now, verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 14, look at this. For if I do what? If I pray in a what, though? In a tongue. So you can pray in tongues. You're praying in tongues. If I pray in a tongue, who's praying? My spirit prays. I want to say this to you. Isn't it about time that you allowed your spirit to pray? Instead of you just praying. Because he has more knowledge than you have. And he always prays the will of the Father. Now let me say something that's probably happened to several of you in here. And it happens to, don't get mad, hard-headed people like me. A lot of times God gives me dreams and stuff in the, in the night to show me things because probably I'm just too hard-headed to get it any other time. And he has to wait for my flesh to go to sleep so that he can communicate with me. Okay? All right? But a lot of times... I've heard of this happening. I've been doing this for a long, long time now, preaching over 30 years. And a lot of times, one spouse will say to the other spouse, I heard you speaking in tongues last night in your sleep. And I've seen that happen with people that were even thinking about this gift that God gives them. And it's like God has to wait till your flesh goes to sleep so that your spirit can actually pray. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? He says, for if I pray in tongues, I heard a guy say one time, well, it says if, so you don't have to. Well, yeah. But then he went on to say that that's Paul writing. He said, and, and I, you know, he said, uh, I don't believe Paul prayed in tongues. And I said, well, you just didn't read the whole Bible. You didn't read the whole chapter. Paul said, I pray in tongues more than all of you. Right? So, again, you don't have to be afraid. A lot of you have been taught things about this, you know, all kind of stuff that's just simply not true. And you should never be nervous, frightened, or afraid about anything that's in the Bible. Amen? He says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding, that word understanding means mind. My mind is unfruitful. Do you understand that an exercise of faith, listen, is for you to be able to do something that you don't have figured out in your head all the time? See, that's part of our problem is we, you, you can't make faith something that you understand the whole, I mean, it's by faith. This is not by intellect. This is not by the natural mind. We, look, we learned last Sunday, the natural mind doesn't receive the things that be of the Spirit. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. And so this is an act. See, you understand, those of you that have, that, 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 you know, allow this grace to flow through you, this praying in tongues, do you know that I can be praying in tongues and be thinking about something in, in with my mind? And if you don't understand that, it's just because you haven't done that. Because my mind is not one doing the praying, my spirit's praying. So I can be praying in tongues and my mind can be thinking about mowing the lawn. And that's okay because I don't understand what's being said anyway. Because it's an act of faith. Do you understand that when you're doing something by faith, you're exercising that faith? And some people, I don't understand. Isn't it interesting that the, when the Holy Spirit comes in and takes his abode in this temple that the first thing he changes is your tongue. The Bible says in the book of James that no man can tame the tongue, right? But the Holy Spirit can. I, I said the Holy Spirit can. And it is something that the Holy Spirit and that God would decide that he would use tongues 
as, a, as, as the Holy Spirit influencing a yielded life of a believer. Isn't it important what we say or do with our tongue? Amen. So he, he says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit's one doing praying. My understanding is unfruitful. Verse 15, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. So listen to me, listen to me. So praying with the spirit means praying in tongues. Look in verse 14. In verse 14, he says, if I pray in tongue, in a tongue, who's praying? My spirit prays. So he's, in the context here, he's talking about praying in tongues, right? And he says in 15, I will pray with the Spirit. He's talking about tongues. And I will also pray with understanding. So in other words, he's saying I will pray in tongues and my mind won't understand what I'm saying. But by faith, I'll trust that he's praying the will of the Father for this situation that's on my mind. In other words, I could have a problem that is so so complicated, so convoluted, and I have that on my mind, this person, this situation, and I just decide that I will exercise my faith. I will pray in tongues with my mind on this situation and trust that God is praying through me, the Spirit, the will of the Father. Amen? And then I can also pray with understanding. But what understanding? My understanding. And then he says this, I will sing with the Spirit. You ever heard anybody sing in tongues? It's absolutely biblical. You know, for you in your, in your time, just riding down or whatever, just praying and singing in tongues. I will also sing with understanding. Now, verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 14 and 4, he says, He who speaks in a tongue does what? Builds up himself. Now, who don't need to be builded up and be, be edified? But he who prophesies edifies the church. I've seen people take this verse and try to use it to say, you know, you shouldn't speak in tongues as if it's, He's, he's exalting prophecy over tongues. He's not. He's just saying there's a difference. Now, he who speaks in tongues edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Now, listen at me. There, we're talking about public and private here. So when you pray in tongues in private, you're building yourself up. But when there is a gift of tongues in public and it's, it's interpreted, the Bible says that equals prophecy. And the church is edified by that because they know what was said. So that's done publicly. So we're talking about public and we're talking about private here. It'd be like reading the Bible. You could say, he who reads the Bible in private builds himself up. But he who reads the Bible publicly builds up all those that hear the Bible being read publicly. It's, it's just no different. Don't, don't try to make something hard out of it, all right? How many of us here only pray with our own understanding? And we're, we're short-circuiting the gift that God's given us to pray the will of the Father. Because you don't always know the will of the Father. And that's what it's going to say in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Paul says, likewise, the, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, our infirmities, our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought to. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Well, how can it be uttered if you can't hear he's talking about you, you you're not uttering something that you understand your spirit is praying because you don't and I don't always know what the will of the father is in a particular situation can you say amen first Corinthians chapter 14 verse 17 18 and 19 says this for you indeed give thanks well so here he's talking about we're praying in tongues you can give thanks in that but the other is not edified I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all yet in the church, 
I would rather speak five words that people understand that I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue, right? Now, that's all, that's all Paul is saying. He's not saying don't do it. He's not saying you shouldn't do it. He just says in church it don't make sense. There's other verses I just don't have time to read. He talks about people that come, if, you, if, a, if a stranger walked in here today to Grace Point Church and everybody speaking in tongues, he said, will they not think you're mad, crazy, nuts cases? Sure they will. And they would be, you know, that, that would be their normal, well, this, this is crazy, you know. And, uh, he, but he says in the church, it should be in the language that we understand, okay, so that people can be built up in strength. So there, so there is the gift of tongues and there's the grace of tongues. One is for interpretation. The one is for your prayer language. One is public. One is private. Are you with me? You ever wonder why so there's so much controversy over this in the church, particularly in America? Because the Bible says life and death are where? Power to tongue. Somebody said, well, I, I don't feel anything you know, when I do it. Well, do you always feel something when you pray in the natural, in English? I do. I feel like a headache sometimes or something. I mean, but that, what's that got to do with anything? Do you always feel excited when you tithe? No, you just do it by faith. You don't wait till you feel something. Do you always feel like brushing your teeth? No, we can tell. You don't have any. Come on now. Or do you just do it because you do it by faith? It's I wonder this. I wonder, is it possible that we are losing some spiritual battles because we're not using all the armor that God gave us? Now, what a lot of people don't understand about Ephesians chapter 6 is they will stop reading about the armor of, of, of God, the armor of Jesus, really, when the, and they, they put a period where there is no period. But if you read Ephesians 6 and 18, it's still continuing from verse 17 where there was no period. A lot of people stop there, but it says praying always with all prayer and supplication. How? And we've already saw where Paul, when he's saying praying in the Spirit, he's talking about tongues. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So point number one, it is a language. Uh, and then point number two is it is a language of the what? The Spirit. Last point, number three, it's a pure language. Now, every language on the globe has profanity in it except one language, and that's the language of the Spirit. Now, listen to this. Genesis 11 and 1 says, now the whole earth had how many languages? One language and one speech. Remember, this is talking about Tower of Babel situation. So the whole earth had how many languages? And one speech. One language, one speech. Now, what language was that? I would bet that it wasn't English or Spanish. Me, I think, because God is the one that gave it, it was the language of the Spirit. Now, this language was so powerful, it had to be a heavenly language because God says down in verse 6 of that same Genesis 11th chapter that the Lord said, this people are one, they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Now, God says this language that they have access to now is so powerful that there's nothing that they can propose to do that will, they can't do. So God says because they're doing the wrong thing that I don't want them to do, it will bring harm to them, 
He said, let us go down, in verse 7, and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. And, of course, that's where we get the word babble from. You know, you're babbling. That means we don't understand what you're saying. Now, now God said we better take this language away. Now, I, I want to ask you this. Is it possible that if we use this language that nothing could be withheld from us? Why? Because the Spirit, I've already read to you, praised the will of the Father. Now, in Zephaniah, the prophet Zephaniah, in chapter 3, verse 9, in the context, he's talking about the coming of the new covenant, and he's prophesying about it. And he's talking about a day that when all our sins will be removed and all these wonderful things, and he will not hold this against us anymore. But one thing that he says in that uh, prophecy, Zephaniah 3, 9, this is God talking, for then I will restore to the peoples a what? A pure language. It's a, the language is a pure language. He says that they may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. Now, God's, listen, now here, listen, look. He didn't say I'm going to give them a pure language. He said I'm going to restore. In other words, I'm giving it back. When did he take it? In Genesis 11. And he says when this new covenant comes, part of this blessing of this new covenant is I'm going to give them back that pure language. And if they will use that pure language, nothing will be withheld from them. Nothing. Because they are praying with a pure language, the will of the Father. Now, I ain't felt God until right now. You feel that? I wonder if what I just said is true. Part of your gift of grace with the new birth is a pure language. And it breaks my heart for you not to use all the things that God gave you for your benefit and for your good. Last point, how do you receive it? A lot of you, my wife, different people have been raised in certain denominations and so forth that have told their peoples ignorantly. I don't, they just said, you know, you don't want to get involved with that. They said speaking in tongues is of the devil. Just you got to hire somebody to help you misunderstand the Bible on this. It's so simple. Isn't it something, I don't have time to turn there, but Jesus, in referring to demons, he compared them and called them serpents and scorpions. And God said, I'll give you authority, Jesus said, over demonic spirits. And he called those demonic spirits scorpions and serpents. Is that in the New Testament? And isn't it something that when Jesus began to talk about the Holy Spirit, he would use those same words again in Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13. Jesus starts out and just says this for, in verse 10, For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. And then he says this, and I told you this one last Sunday, but if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? How many knows if you're expecting to munch down on bread and somebody has given you a rock, it's going to hurt you? Okay? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Serpent hurts you, fish nourishes you. With me? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? So here Jesus is using the word scorpion and serpents, which is the very... Because he knew there'd be a day that people would have a spirit of stupid come on them and stand up and say that the Holy Spirit gifts is the, of demonic. 
Or you better not yield yourself because you could get a demon. And don't tell me people don't hear that and have not heard that. You better not yield yourself like they tell you to yield to the Spirit because you could get a demon. That is so stupid. Uh, people come up with all kind of crazy stuff. One of the passages they use out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 I think it's verse 3 or something like that. But he says, well, all that died away. You know, they don't do that anymore. God doesn't do that anymore. You know, he says, when that that is per perfect has come, you know, that the, the, the lesser or whatever will be done away with. And they said, you know, that's, that's uh, the tongues, you know. Well, read the verse. Because it also says knowledge will be done away with. So if tongues have been done away with, then all knowledge, there is no knowledge anymore. That's been done away with. You can't pick and choose what to believe. You've you got to be consistent. And so God is saying that in verse 13, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God says all you have to do is ask, and I will give you the Holy Spirit. It's a gift, so you don't earn it, you don't do anything. The only reason that they went to Jerusalem, he told them to go in Jerusalem and tarry. You ever heard of tarrying for the Spirit? That, doesn't, that, that, that only happened one time. You don't tarry anymore, you get it when you get born again. They did that because the day of Pentecost hadn't come. Now, some people, I was raised to believe that they went to uh, Jerusalem at Jesus' command, go there and tarry till you've been doing with power from on high and all that. that. They went there and fasted and prayed and begged God for 10 days. And after, the, after God watched them sweat and plead and cry and fast and pray and beg till he deemed it's long enough, then he said, okay, now you've begged enough, I'll send it. God never told them to go to Jerusalem and pray for the Holy Spirit. Because you don't pray for what's a gift, you just, you just get it. Now, I know there's a couple of biblical smarty britches in here, so I'll go ahead and say this to save you the trip, save you the text. If you read Acts chapter 1, after they, Jesus told them to do that, it does say that they went there and that they were praying. It don't tell you what they were praying for. I think probably they were praying that Mary wouldn't kill them disciples that abandoned her son while he was dying for them on the cross because she was up in the room with them. I don't know what they were praying for. Only an article of business I see them handle in the upper room was they had to replace Judas Iscariot who had hung himself and they put Matthias and they, you say, well, right there they voted him in. Well, you can vote too if you're an apostle. That's the only people you ever see voting. They, vote, they cast lots, they call it. And they, between two men, and they chose Matthias to replace Judas Iscariot so they would have 12 apostles because Matthias also eyewitnessed Jesus and death, burial, and resurrection. And, that, and that's all. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, the, the word Pentecost, don't let that ever scare you. Well, they're Pentecostal. You know what the word Pentecost means, right? What would, be, what would be a pentagram? How many sides does a pentagram have? Five. Okay. The word pente, five, costy, Pentecostal means 50. 50. So penny, five, costy to the 10th power, 50. So when you say I'm Pentecostal, you're saying I'm 50. You're Pentecostal. That means everybody there is 50. Don't, it's, it's just a number. Don't let it scare you. Well, then people are Pentecostal. I mean, that just means 50. Yeah, just, you've you got to understand that what God has given you, like, it's not going to hurt you. It's going to help you. And all you have to do is yield to that. I want to end with this right here because this has been on my heart. 
not necessarily in the notes, but it's been on my heart all week. And, and we talk about it, and even in this series, we've done that and, 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 and prophesied. And, and, and the Bible says prophecy is this. It, it, it encourages, it comforts, and it strengthens. It builds up. It does those three things. And you hear me say that a lot. And everybody, all of us need that. And, and that's why of the gift of prophecy, it says you, you may all prophesy. Because everybody in here has the ability by the Spirit to build somebody up, to comfort them, and to strengthen them. Is that right? And so that, that should be the test. So if you feel like I have a word for somebody, I want to say this to them, then it should pass through that grid. And if the word that you're fixing to tell them doesn't build them up, it doesn't bring comfort to them or what, maybe what they're going through, or it doesn't strengthen them, then keep it to yourself. If you dream and you see me lying in a casket holding a lily, then don't share that with me. Don't walk up and share that to me after service. Say, Pastor, I just want to share that. I dreamed this last night. I don't know what it means, but I just saw you in the casket. You know, I don't want to hear it. That don't comfort me. Keep it to yourself. Eat less anchovies on your pizza. I don't want to hear it. Seriously, don't do that kind of stuff to people. We call that sometimes parking lot prophecies. I've received tremendous prophecies in my life. We were talking last night, and one of the most powerful prophecies I ever received, and I, and I won't go into it because I don't have the time, but I had started Cornerstone in, in, in March the 10th of 91. One year later, I was invited to a church in Moultrie. I, I, I wasn't speaking. I, I was just invited to care my youth and let them do a drama. There was a guy from Augusta, Georgia, named Bishop Jim Dutton, who was, I never even heard of him. And the pastor introduced this speaker, and he walked up to the pulpit, and he called me out, and he gave me the most detailed, specific prophecy. And sometimes in the past, I've shared that actual audible prophecy with you guys here. And even though it's that, that many, many years old, it'll still make the hair stand on your arms because that's the Holy Spirit's anointing. It was captured in that moment. That's the power of this that we carry because he's the same. And that prophecy has been such an encouragement to me. But this is what I felt like that somebody would be sitting here and needed to hear before you get out of here today. When you receive prophecies like that, and I, I listen to me, and I hope you don't misunderstand it, but the, the Bible don't have to be judged, but it says prophecy does. And some of us, me included, have, have gotten prophecies from people that wasn't nothing more than just their head. It's what they wanted to come to pass or, you know, and they may even thought it was God when they said it or something. But, I mean, you just got to learn to eat around the bone. The Bible says despise not prophesying and forbid not to speak with other tongues. Is that what it says? There's whole denominations that violate that Bible, and that's called religious blinders. The Bible actually says, forbid not to speak with tongues. And there are congregations that forbid people to speak with tongues. And they are violating scripture that is so crystal clear, it's just amazing that how ridiculous you have to be to misinterpret that. But the reason you can despise prophesying is because sometimes people will come up and prophesy to you and it's just ridiculous what they tell you. It's not from God. It's not encouraging. It's not edifying. It doesn't strengthen you. It actually confuses the daylights out of you. Now, I'm a good enough pastor <laughs> that if people come here and prophesy things and not God and they're holding a mic and they're going to hurt my youngins, I'd stop it right then. Because you just don't let people poison your kids. Okay? Now, I've had a person, whatever. I'm just going to be very plain. They can edit this out if they want to. I don't care. But I've, since I've pastored here, I've had some, you know, pro, you know prophet comes, says prophet, hallelujah. Probably is, I guess, but I don't mean he's perfect. 
but prophesied here holding this mic in front of you and said that he called out a guy at some church and the guy was committing adultery. And God revealed that he was an adulterer, so he called him out and rebuked him publicly for committing adultery. And I'm sitting on the front row and I hear people in here laugh. And it broke my heart. Number one, because I know that God don't do that. God don't expose sin or remember sin that Jesus has already paid for on the cross 2,000 years ago. And if God's all of a sudden going to judge that guy, what, what, what hope do the rest of us have? And then he went on to say, the next statement, then he went on to say, he went to another city, a time later, another church, and he saw the same guy again, and he was still in adultery, and he rebuked him a second time. So that means the first rebuke didn't do anything. So it didn't work. And hollering at people and calling them sins and being mean to people under the name of a prophet is never God. So you can go lump it, bad, whatever, but I'll never have that guy back again. I love him. I don't hate him. I just can't turn you loose in my church because you just got to learn more about the Bible before you can preach here. Because God don't call people's sins out and embarrass them publicly and do that kind of stuff. He never does that. And that's not the Spirit of God. That's not the Spirit of Christ. And that's not the Spirit of grace. So you can just rest because Jesus has already paid for that. Now, when you have a prophecy... Like David, sometimes people don't think much of you. And David's own dad, for whatever reason, didn't think much of him. And when Samuel come to anoint one of his sons as the new king of Israel, we know the story he didn't even get called. He's the least of the least. His dad didn't even have him in the meeting. Samuel, being led of God, looks at all the sons of Saul. He says, he's not here. Is this all those sons? I got one more. He's out keeping the sheep. Go get him. He said, we're not even going to sit down until he gets here. Prophet means business. When they brought David in, Samuel pointed at him, poured oil on his head, and anointed him as the what? The next king of Israel. Now listen to me. Now some of you wonder about the little story of David with the slingshot deal. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy, he said, Timothy, make war with your prophecies. Do battle with those prophecies that were spoken over you, son. Some of you, again, need to make war with what God has said concerning your life and your future. He said, make war with your prophecies. There's something to this. I just don't have the time. But when David walked out and saw Goliath, the Bible says he ran towards him. Now, some of y'all think that was just totally bravery on David's part. But what I believe it was is David had a prophecy from the prophet of Israel, Samuel, that said, you're going to be the next king. So David said, since he's prophesied over me that I'm going to be the next king of Israel and I'm not king yet, that means I'm not going to die today. And that really sucks for you, Goliath. Because <laughs> that makes you're going to have a really bad day here. And so, come on now, I feel God on this. And he could run with great confidence towards Goliath because he had a prophecy that said he was going to be king and he believed it. And he said, I'm not the one that's going to die today because I'm not king yet, and Samuel didn't lie, neither did God. And so Goliath, you know, tough for you, dude. This is going to be your day. The apostle Paul received a prophecy from an angel of God and said, you will stand and give witness before Caesar at Rome. And this is around Acts 
17th, 18th chapter. But in 28th chapter of Acts, Paul is on board a ship. And a great storm hits them. And so much so that they all think they're going to die except one man by the name of Paul because he had a prophecy that was prophesied to him that he would actually stand before Caesar at Rome and witness for God. And as he looked around, this wasn't Rome. And it didn't matter what the storm said, he knew he was not going to die that night. And he said, the ship may be lost, but there will be no life lost if you'll just do what I tell you. Because God has said that i got to go to Rome. And best I can tell, I ain't at Rome yet, and I'm not talking to Caesar. So this is not my day. I will not die today. And if you'll do what I do, you won't die either. Now, I'm trying to get you to see somebody in here. You need to refresh and knock the dust off some promises God made you. And if I had the time, I would tell you about a prophet named Tim Clement who prophesied to a man in a meeting and prophesied to him that he would have a son and told him the name of the son. And his wife was barren or had not been able to have a child. You can research this. I can actually find the specifics on it if you just, that person that needs that. But this man went on to run, and some of you might know this. I can't remember if it was the state of Georgia, either for the House or the Senate. He was actually had not been elected yet. He was giving a campaign speech at a Holiday Inn outside Atlanta. And while he was giving that campaign speech, trying to run for the Georgia House or Senate, he had a heart attack and looked like died right there. They put him in the back of the ambulance. I've actually seen photos of the ambulance there because he was a public figure running for office in Atlanta, so there were news people there. They carry him into the hospital doing CPR on him. He's in full arrest, full code, and he's not breathing on his own. His heart's not beating. They've been doing CPR on him all the way in and stuff like that. I was a paramedic for 20 years. I know it's not like in the movies. Most of the time, that just doesn't do anything. It just, it just doesn't work. You did, but you do your best. Okay? Now, they've been working on him. It's called coding him. They've coded him in the yard, whatever. His wife is standing there, people all over him working, shocking, defibrillating, doing all that. And, 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 and she sees that they're just slowing, you know, they're, they're, they're stopping. And the doctor says, you know, it's just, and it's just straight line on the monitor. And everybody knows that's something supposed to be doing this, you know. And she realizes that they're fixing to stop. And she's so horrified. That's her husband. And she says, no, you can't die yet. Our prophecy's not fulfilled. We're not even our son yet. And she grabs him on both feet and screams that. And when she did that, the monitor went, boop, and he started having a heartbeat. And this is what they said, the quoted, the doctor said, he looked at her and said, you've done it now. You never know what's going to be your first impression in those. You've done it now. He said, he's probably brain dead. He's been this long. You've done it now. Well, he wasn't brain dead, and he did set up in a little bit, and he lived he got elected to the Georgia House or Senate. He served for seven or eight years, several terms, three terms. Actually, he ran for a national uh, senator or something. He, he didn't get that one, by the way. But, uh, but and, and, and he still, and, and really just formed a ministry. He would go all over. I, years ago, I actually tried to get him to come to Cornerstone, but he was just so booked up I couldn't get him just to come give his testimony. But you know what his wife used? She made war with her prophecy. Do you know that he did live? They did have that son. They did name him what the prophet said. And, and he's a grown man today with kids of his own. And that guy's still running around here in Georgia and 
loving Jesus and telling people about the power of God. But because a wife said, I got a prophecy, and, and, and it hadn't happened yet, so this ain't your day, dude. I don't care what the monitor shows or what's going on. But you got to learn to stand on God's word. And God's promised you your children to be saved. So they're not going to die lost because he's promised you your children. God's promised you a lot of things in the Bible that you can take for you because they are your words. There's some of you that God has moved upon people to prophesy over you and speak the word of the Lord to you. And, and it was truly the word of the Lord to you. And because it's been so opposite of that, sometimes you begin to doubt it. And I've been there and done that, got the T-shirt, but don't do that. Believe again and make war like Paul told Timothy. And not because God's forgotten, but maybe we've forgotten. And say, Lord, now you promised me this. You promised me I'd be a man of great wealth. And I ain't broke, but I'm bad bent, God. <laughs> Help a brother out. You stand there and believe what God's promised you. You believe the word of the Lord to you, your family, and your children. Because you have a word from God. This is not your day of demise. This is not the end. You run towards that Goliath. Because you ain't king yet. You understand? You receive the word of the Lord today. Stand to your feet. God bless you. Now, see, I really finished that sermon in 20 minutes. But I had to add that prophecy part because I, I worked for somebody. So he wanted that in there. It's on him. That's on him. That's not in the notes. That's on him. Okay? Now, you guys, if you're new to Grace Point, how you get to our social uh, hall, or cafeteria, fellowship hall, whatever we want to call it, you go through these double doors right here and just take a left and you can walk right in our uh, area there. And I, I'd love for you to come back. I'd love to meet you, especially if I haven't met I want to meet you if I've met you a hundred times, but especially if I haven't met you before. Come get a piece of cake. I know, you know, it's like you're doing something illegal. You'll feel dirty because you get to eat your dessert before you go eat lunch, but it'll be okay. You're already, your sin is already forgiven 2,000 years ago, so you're good. So get a piece of cake, have some punch, uh, let me hug your neck. Thank you for everything you do for me and Jill and my family for loving us. Thank you for loving me through that heart deal this year. And, and, you know, we're still, we're not 100%, but we show a long way from where we used to be, I'll tell you that. And I'm feeling good, and, and I can talk to you without going into atrial field, and that feels wonderful. And uh, so thank you for that. So I'm going to pray and dismiss us, and I'm going to head that way, and you see if you can chase me down. And we'll go get a piece of cake, and then you can go home and enjoy your Sunday. Okay, God bless you. Father, I thank you for the day. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this pure language. Help us to use that pure language because you've given it to us. It's part of our armor. Help us to pray the will of the Father by yielding our tongue to the Spirit. Lord, let us see you as a daddy that really likes it when his kids are just trying to, to yield themselves to what you've gifted us with. We don't have to be fluent and perfect the first day, but we'll learn as kids as we go along and just yield our tongue to the will of the Father and to the Spirit. We bless you today. Thank you for your grace and mercy over everybody's life. Thank you for Chuck and Selena. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in and through them in their ministry. We bless you, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you. Come join us in the back.